Sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said, Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever does not enter a sheepfold through the gate, but climbs over elsewhere, is a thief and a robber. But whoever enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice as the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has driven out all his own, he walks ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. But they will not follow a stranger. They will run away from him because they do not recognize the voice of strangers. Although Jesus used this figure of speech, the Pharisees did not realize what he was trying to tell them. So Jesus said again, Amen, amen, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and slaughter and destroy. I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. On Friday, one of our focus missionaries here had invited me to be a part of his uh, Bible study, which, of course, was on Zoom, not meeting in person or anything. So, And over the year, he had kind of befriended a group of really good guys who've been meeting regularly, and they just wanted to have an opportunity to, as we affectionately call it around here, grill your chaplain. And in these grills, students are invited to ask any question of their choice. And without fail, questions will go in all kinds of directions, such as, when did you first think of becoming a priest? What's your favorite gospel? What were some other career paths that you were thinking about? Those are some of the getting to know you type questions that can trigger a lot of thoughts and memories, especially with my ADD. You can get me telling a whole bunch of different stories. Then there are questions about why the Catholic Church believes certain things or certain disciplines, like why do we have to go to Mass every Sunday? When did the Eucharist first get instituted? And hopefully I'm able to answer in a correct, relatable manner and make up for maybe what they didn't ever learn or remember from when they were growing up. But finally, there's some questions that have a way of kind of touching both. They're asking about church teaching and indirectly seeking your personal take on it. For example, one of the guys asked me, why can't priests get married? 
While this isn't the first time I've been asked about celibacy before, I was kind of surprised by the question, not in a bad way or anything like that, mostly because this was a guy I hadn't really ever met before, and the questions for the most part for the first 40 minutes had been the getting to know you kind of stuff were just Catholic potpourri. And so I was kind of stumbling in my answer. I found myself talking about how there are married Catholic priests, my point being that it's a discipline that the church could theoretically change. Then I explained that we're trying to follow the example of Christ who was never married and allow ourselves to be more radically available to the people that we've been called to serve. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if I sounded more like yada, yada, yada after a while. In all honesty, I wasn't satisfied with my answer, which really bothered me. Why? Well, mostly because my ADD was working in overdrive when he asked the question. I was more focused on why the guy was asking and where was he coming from. I started thinking about the fact that some prominent voices in recent months have said that celibacy should be done away with completely. Or the more politically correct way of saying it should be optional. So maybe he had read a story about that and wanted to gauge my honest opinion on those proposals. Or maybe some of these guys were non-Catholic Christians. We happily have a bunch of kids who feel at home here at Newman who aren't Catholic. So perhaps he was asking, why is the Protestant pastor able to marry, but we're not? Or honestly, after just years of atrocious news about the actions of some priests and bishops who sexually abused and harassed and committed gross sexual crimes or covered them up and so on. People have thought that celibacy is unnatural to begin with, so they naturally link it to that abhorrent behavior. Being chaste, being celibate, used to be seen as a way of holding up the beauty of sex, something special, something sacred, something that a husband and wife shared in marriage. And so priests sacrificing that was seen as a way of affirming sex as something tied to that vocation of marriage that was distinct and different than the call to priesthood. But hearing about these failures of epic fashion, which understandably have made headlines around the world, has undermined the beauty of celibacy as a gift and made it something more of a suspicion. This guy asking me the question on Friday didn't say it, but it reminded me of a firefighter in West Orange where I serve as their chaplain saying to me this one time, Father, you seem so normal. Why would you do this? Why wouldn't you want to get married? Or in all fairness, it doesn't even have to be those extreme horrific examples. The truth of the matter is that more often people have had personal experiences as well. Stories that don't make the news, stories that aren't sexually deviant or scandalous in that realm, but stories they themselves have experienced where a priest just wasn't good enough to them. Whether it was a blatant dereliction of the priest's duties and responsibilities, or if the priest himself didn't even realize that his action or his lack thereof hurt somebody. Our priest never came to visit my mother when she was dying. We tried to get married at that church, but the priest wouldn't meet with us because we're living together. I wanted to get my son baptized and no one ever called me back. During this time of quarantine, that's opened a whole host of new experiences that will probably fall into this category as well. A few weeks ago and in, into the shelter at home orders, I remember getting a message saying that my decision 
not to defy those orders to celebrate Mass publicly and to offer to hear confessions was a massive failure on my part, which is actually putting it charitably, but that basically summed up his message. And if you ever follow me on social media, it will become evident to you that I was kind of stung by that and respond with a little bit of a Twitter rant. I'm a priest, but I'm also Italian. In response, people very kindly and very overwhelmingly came to my defense, mostly because these people knew me personally and were defending me on a personal level. But I have been able to hear that the hurt that those comments were trying to say, especially as these days and weeks of isolation have gone longer and longer. People are saying basically, one of the reasons you don't have a wife or kids of your own is that you're supposed to be here for us. Where are you? Right or wrong? Many have felt that we haven't been. So that too invariably leads to more questions and more doubts. Why aren't you mar- Why are you not married? Why are you celibate? As my mind was trying to figure out whether the guy was asking me this question from any of those perspectives, in hindsight, I didn't feel like I really gave him a good answer, which genuinely bothered me because it's a good and important one. I felt unsettled, which only worsened as I sat down with this gospel reading again Friday and all day yesterday. Because every Sunday, every, every year on the fourth Sunday of Easter, we celebrate what's called Good Shepherd Sunday, where the readings focus on that imagery as God as a shepherd. It's something that comes up a lot through both the Old and New Testaments. For the Jews, the the greatest of kings, David, was notably a shepherd before being anointed a king. That psalm we beautifully sung today is one of the most treasured of psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, leading us through verdant pastures, protecting us through dark valleys. Truth be told, those those images are comforting even in the most non-farm-like of cultures especially during rough times like we're experiencing right now, that comforting image of God protecting and guiding us is a beautiful image that we want to cling to, and even more, we we long to experience ourselves. But all week I was kind of struggling with this gospel because, yeah, we hear about sheep and shepherds, but Jesus is not as clear and direct and definitive in this section calling himself the good shepherd. Think about it. The most direct thing that Jesus said in that gospel was, I am the gate. In the gospel of John, Jesus very often uses those definitive I am statements. And just saying I am assumes great importance. Thousands of years earlier, when Moses first encountered God himself in the burning bush and asked God what was his name, God replied, I am. So Jesus uses that answer not only to reveal that he is God himself, which is one of the reasons the Jews wanted to crucify him, because that was considered the most ultimate of blasphemies. But he also uses that as an opportunity to expand and reveal other aspects of God's identity. As an example, this past week in daily mass in the gospel, we heard Jesus say, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven all describing the Eucharist that we receive, where we actually eat his body and blood. Later in the Gospel of John, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, thus establishing the the singular importance 
for us to follow him. He will also blatantly say, I am the good shepherd in the gospel of John. Just not today, which wasn't very helpful. And that's why he was struggling. He talks about sheep and shepherds and what their roles are. But today's I am statement is, I am the gate. And that's what tripped me up. I kept thinking about just a physical gate, a metal gate that closes a pen. And that sounds so cold and impersonal. We imagine a gate as a, as a barrier, which is hardly a, a relatable or an image that we want to have of Jesus. I had to research it a bit because I had forgotten the depth of what Jesus was getting at in saying that. He wasn't describing himself as a blockade or as an impediment to keep those of us who want to come close to Jesus distant. In this instance, the shepherd has such deep concern and dedication. He recognizes that these sheep are dependent on him for guidance, for direction, for protection, that the shepherd himself sleeps in the opening between the pasture and the sheepfold. That's one of the things that makes him a good shepherd. He doesn't trust a metal or wooden gate, knowing that a robber can just jump over and steal one of his sheep. He doesn't hire someone to watch over his flock who might fall asleep or bail at the first sign of trouble. Owing to the fact that sheep are docile and don't really have any defense, he doesn't want them to be vulnerable in any way, especially since they're they're prime targets for wolves. The good shepherd knows that a wolf would be able to smell his presence and recognize that they'd have to contend with someone who is going to fight them so they leave. The wolf would rather look for an easier target, sheep who aren't as cared for, who don't have a good shepherd. That's who Jesus is, our good shepherd and our gate. And it's from that vision that we begin to understand that call to celibacy in the priesthood. In the priesthood, Jesus calls his priest to have that that single-minded love and dedication and sacrifice for his sheep, that we put aside our human wants and desires, knowing this calling and this opportunity to stand in his name, in his place, and to make him real and present in preaching his word, offering his body and blood in the Eucharist, offered at every Mass, isn't simply about our saying the right words and knowing the ritual acts correctly. It requires the laying down of our lives for his sheep. Yeah, there are far too many stories that make us wonder if that's even possible anymore. To the point that it's understandable that people have gotten tepid and almost indifferent to not even just this issue, but the church in general. Go ahead, let them get married. It's almost like there's an underlying rationale that celibacy must be an impediment for men to be happy and sacrificial in their service. But then you have reminders of the beauty of the priesthood when it's lived authentically. Like when we heard the story back in March of Father Giuseppe Berardelli. Father Berardelli is a priest of 47 years in the Diocese of Bergamo, which is in northern Italy. He had been rushed to the hospital suffering from the COVID virus. You might remember Italy's medical system was so overwhelmed that it practically crashed, and which is part of the reason the United States shut down so radically and in such 
an unprecedented fashion. We didn't want that to happen here. So Father Baradelli was in such bad shape that they wanted to put him on a ventilator. There were such massive shortages in their country of that life-saving equipment that his own parishioners went out and purchased one for him. Obviously, they knew him and loved him and knew he was a good shepherd. He refused it so that a younger person who was in serious, critical condition could have it. And Father Berardelli died on March 15th in order that this younger person could live. How beautiful is that? Father Berardelli was a gate to his sheep. Or here's another one that comes to mind. A friend of mine, Father David Barnes, is a fellow campus minister at Boston University. Who knew? A good story coming out of Boston. For a New York Yankee fan, it's kind of shocking. But at any rate, his Archbishop Cardinal Sean O'Malley was worried about the COVID patients in Boston hospitals and asked any of his priests, would they volunteer to be specifically designated to go into the hospitals and to give the sacraments of the sick, of reconciliation, to hear confessions, and to offer the body of Christ in the Eucharist, especially to the people who were dying for the last time, which we call viaticum, the final food, the final food for the final journey. Father Barnes and two of his fellow priests who have heard and seen all the hysteria that we've heard, who recognize that there's still so much about this disease that we don't know. They didn't let any personal fear for their health or safety prevent them from saying, I'll do it. Father Barnes is a gate to his sheep. Those are incredibly sacrificial examples that reinforce our faith in the love of Christ and everything that's possible as a result of that love, which doesn't happen often or very easily. And for a priest, it's only possible when the priest has taken this example of the Good Shepherd to heart. It's only possible when we take seriously the lifelong commitments we make in ordination to die to self every single day, to sacrifice the beauty and the allurement of our own wife and kids so that we may be radically available and free to serve the people we're sent to, all while putting our own wants and needs aside. It's only possible when we acknowledge that we are sinful and weak human beings, yet still engage in that daily struggle to remain faithful to those promises, prayerfully and thoughtfully focused on Christ, who always makes the seemingly impossible possible. It's then that our hearts can be made more compassionate, that we have a better understanding and we see the everyday struggles of the sheep, but that at the same time, we can be an example of what God's grace can accomplish. The supernatural happenings in our time and space and following the good shepherd and possibly being considered as worthy enough as a gate to his sheep.